You're listening to Not Another Kinky Cast, where we discuss BDSM, power exchange, poly, kink, and all things not safe for work. I'm your host, Aoife Dio. And I'm Archangel. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to your bi-weekly episode of <laughs> Not Another Kinky Cast. It is bi-weekly, isn't it? I'm your host, Ife Dio. I'm bi-weekly Archangel. Oh my God. This is what we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Was that too corny? Always. What I'm on brand. No. Just do better. Rebrand. No, I can't. It's time can't. to rebrand. I can't. It's time. No. Anyway. Let's start this episode off on a better note with a moment of gratitude. What are you grateful for, Daddy? I am grateful for all the nerds out there and all the flavors that they show up in, to nerd them in. We went to two spots, and both we we just it, it was just it was different. We got a, a, a new Star Trek pitch from one, and then a, a, another guy was just he was just cool. He was helpful. And and wanted to to spread nerd knowledge, so I'm I'm grateful to all the for all the nerds out there. What are you grateful for, baby girl? I am grateful for God's timing. Look at God. For the universe's timing. Look at the universe. You know how we have these small nuances that nuisance these small nuisances that you be like, God damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Just forget it. No, go ahead. Continue. I'm fine. So what was the small nuisance that you had? I didn't have one. Tony No had one? Yes. Who? <clears throat> really? You going to act interested now? I am interested. Uh-huh. My cousin had to get gas and she didn't want to get gas. And she got gas. And then she went to Popeye's. And as she was walking in, the robbers were running out. So if she didn't have to get, get gas, gas, she would have been in there while they Bobby. were robbing the Popeyes. Oh my God! So I'm just grateful for God's timing. He may not be there when you need him. <laughs> That's he's not right how on it time. Goes. How does it go? That's not how, it goes. How, how does it go? You may he may not be there when you want him, but he's right on. Okay, but he'll be there right, right on time. time. All right, thank thank you for for the the correction. Anyway, that's what I'm grateful for. It's it's little things that. Might throw a rock in your plans, but imagine if you were somewhere. Yep. Mm. Mm -hmm. When I have things like that, I always be like, damn, if I would have left three minutes earlier, God only knows what would have happened. So, you know, timing is everything. So, indeed. So, that's my moment of gratitude that you messed up. I didn't mess it up. Yes, you did. Mm. Anyway. How was your week, baby girl? My week was all right. It was like, I don't know. The energy and the aura was just off. And I can't even explain how or why. But I felt it. And, it, you know, my week, it lagged a little bit. And then it, I don't know. It was just a weird week. And daddy introduced me to this food hall that has the best chicken garden salad. In the world, 
All like, they all they sell is chicken and donuts. Yeah, <laughs> and I refuse to buy. Even though I really want a donut, I just don't see myself paying three fifty for it. I'm lying. You pay more than three fifty for I a donut. Have. I've been to Duck Donuts several times. See there, and their donuts are expensive. So next time we go, I'm going to order a donut. But the place is like five different restaurants out of one building, out of one. You know, space, location, and you can order from all the different menus at one time. Like that that's that's actually cool. You can order from all five of them at one time. It was. Instead of having to go from spot to spot to spot. Uh huh. It's very convenient. Especially if you're a foodie. If you want sushi and fried chicken at the same time, you can do it. But I'm not gonna tell y'all where it's at because it's gonna get crowded and then they're gonna charge more. But then if it doesn't get crowded, then they might go out of business. I'll take my chances. <laughs> <laughs> you are such a heifer. <laughs> How was your week, sir? Um, my week mirrored yours to a certain extent in that we went to um, the food hall and, and ate. We went to the, what, twice, didn't we? Mm-hmm, we did. <laughs> <laughs> my sister's like, y'all so greedy. I'm like, yeah, that's all we do. But since we buy weekly, we went one one week and another week and second time. (laughs) So yeah, we didn't go like twice in a week. We spread it out. Mm -hmm. It was less than seven days apart. Oh, okay. They don't. Oh my god, we work with average. So average to one. Tell yourself that if you need to. Man. You know what they say, the one person you sit and lie to is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then, you know, we, uh, like I said, we had our, our uh, we drove all over the world as I was trying to pick up some uh, card game and stuff because a, a new card game uh, came out called Shadowverse Evolve, which is another, going to be another black hole on my wallet. But hey. We all got our vices. So, yeah. That's it? That's it. Nerd nerd stuff and, and, and food. Okay. Not a bad week. Not a bad week at all. So, do we go to your... Oh, no. It's this, no, this the sex position. I'm going to say this isn't your favorite port section of the week. But I the mean, next one is... It's cool. So, the sex position of the week is called... The rabbits, and when with the name the rabbit reminds me of Ludacris' song "Fat Rabbit." But anyway, have your partner kneel on the floor or bed and then straddle their lap while facing away. Think spooning, except on the knees. A tilt of the pelvis is all it takes to make this work for V or A penetration. That mean vaginal. Vaginal, Vag- or vaginal. Anal. <laughs> I was thinking anal. <laughs> vaginal or anal. I broke my back. Vaginal. Okay. Anyway, a tilt of the pelvis is all it takes to make this work for vaginal or anal penetration with depth that you can that you get to control. Kick up the pleasure factor by using a vibrator or your clit or penis. On the same... On your clit or oh, penis. Duh, at the same time. See, I, this is why I need to get new glasses. Or skip the penetration and just enjoy the dry hump ride 
and toy play. Mm-hmm. Love that dry humping, don't you? So basically, it's reverse cowgirl, but you're on your knees. And I, it's for the vaginal, <laughs> the vagina having or the penis having partner on top. Yes. So this is going to be something that we're going to try? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we can try that. We can try. Okay. You want to do it tonight? No. no oh, not, okay. not tonight. Not tonight. That was one of the worst. I, I don't know. This is why people don't listen to us. <laughs> We have some <laughs> listeners out there. We have some international listeners. We do. I'm, I'm very grateful for them all. So, on to the knock-knock joke. And I just want you guys to know, I made this up. So, if y'all don't like it, don't tell me. Knock-knock. <laughs> <laughs> Who's there? Bacon. Bacon who? Bacon, you give me a blowjob. <laughs> Bacon, bacon. I get it, I get it. <laughs> bacon. It sounds so much cuter when I do it. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot better when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. But I'm... So what are we talking about tonight? Before we get into what we're going to talk about tonight, I would like for people to buy us cups of coffee. We have a... a um. A way that people can donate to the show via our coffee page. So, you know, the the coffee page information is in the show notes. So if you feel so inclined, inclined to, uh, you know, help contribute to the show, you know, please. And and we'll give you a shout out. But I think with coffee, though, if you want to remain anonymous, I think it gives it gives the person's actual name. So, uh. We'll work out how we can um, give shout outs to those who, you know, donate to our coffee fund. So. All right. On to tonight's topic. We have, I guess, do we, should we call it the intersection of BDSM and uh, disability or BDSM and disability? What, what would you say it is? BDSM and disability. There you go. BDSM. And disability, blah, disability. So we have tonight Cornell Drago, and we first met uh, Cornell at net, at the net conference back in what was that April? Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, we we talked then, but we wanted to go a little bit deeper. Um, with the conversation so we will start as we always do with an icebreaker are you ready i am all right so here we go first question what types of porn videos or categories do you typically search for hmm um i'm pretty easy when it comes to my searches uh, it's usually uh, OTK, which stands for over the knee, uh, okay. um, uh, or uh, it, so really any really kind of 
like spanking top videos that doesn't get too um, uh, serious. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I actually prefer the content where it's actually just really uh, where, where it seems as though the people who are in the scene are like really starting out and not like where it's like the real like painful stuff. Not that the really painful stuff doesn't intrigue me, but I feel like the people who are, excuse me, doing the more intense stuff really don't really know. I feel like they are less inclined to know what they are doing more so than the playful stuff where it's like, yeah, we're just doing this for fun. Um, and we are obviously enjoying it. Gotcha, um, gotcha. I, 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 I really prefer the scenes in general, not just with uh, spanking, but just in general where, where it's consensual people having fun, not performing for a camera waiting for like a certain position, certain, like, I don't, I don't like that crap. I just don't. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Our second question. Do you like dirty talk and does it turn you on? I do. I do. Um, I, uh, when I'm, uh, especially when I'm in scene, um, I really enjoy uh, kind of engaging with uh, the person that I'm seeing with, uh, and using language uh, that isn't derogatory. I don't like being derogatory in scene, um, but or defamatory. Um, I, however, um, I appreciate when someone who is bottoming usually uh, is appreciative of my praise. Um, I guess it's a refer. I guess it's a reversal. Uh, I guess like a reverse praise kink where, where I like giving praise to, to subs and bottoms. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's what's up. That's different. Yeah. I guess that, that goes well for people with a praise kink. Right. Unlike my dirty, dirty little whore. (laughs) 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 Me? (laughs) Uh, Last icebreaker question. Which is better, morning sex or evening sex? I mean, in general, post-nut clarity is post-nut clarity. You can have that in the morning, in the the afternoon, and at night. Um, And post-nut clarity is gender gender non-conforming. But, uh, yeah, I feel like for me... Probably, probably in the morning because it's a little easier to stretch my muscles in the morning than it is to at night where you're just like, where it's so, where a lot of times it feels like, oh, if one person or multiple people get their nut that aren't you, then, you know, then you can just roll over and that's it. Whereas in the morning, it's like you're greeting the person, the person or persons in bed with you and you are enjoying the moment. You're just waking up. Um, you can make breakfast afterward. Um, yes, of course you could have a late night snack as well, but, um, I feel like there's less time at night, whereas there's more time in the day, uh, in the morning. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. So, 
morning sex person. Yeah. All right. So we have brought you on to our show to to so so we can get a little bit deeper with um the intersection of uh of BDSM and um differently abled uh people of the community. Um so let's start off with what is your kink origin story? Well, um I I I think I just kind of was intrigued at a very uh, kind of at the while I was exploring my body, exploring my sexuality. Um, the internet still hadn't, uh, you know. Um, I I don't I don't want to speak for y'all, but for me, and I don't and I certainly don't want to age myself. But the internet really wasn't a thing. Um, adult content really wasn't readily accessible. Um, you kind of had to uh, go into uh, you know, almost frankly, do something strange for a little piece of change. And in, and in this case, the change was adult content. <laughs> so, um, you, you really had to dig to find it. And for me, I was just really intrigued by, um, spanking for some reason, um, specifically topping. I, uh, there wasn't any particular scene, um, or any kind of content that really kind of, piqued my interest that kind of made it that kind of made me want to go to a you know that kind of made me want to go to a king space or a dungeon and like explore uh further um i really just kind of was interested um did my justifiable research uh found out what i wanted to uh you know you know kind of developed my um Self, um, and learned under several different uh, tops with several different um, practices under their belts, respectfully, uh, respectively, and from all over the from all over the world. Um, and I am a sponge when it comes to information, so I'm always willing to learn. You know, I don't necessarily, you know, there there isn't a master. Tied, you know, tied to my name because I don't want to call myself that or give myself that title when I feel like that is a title that is earned um, and it comes with a certain level of respect. Um, not to say that I don't respect other folks with similar top titles. Oh no, I it's, feel it's like, but 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 I also feel like for me, like. It comes with a certain level of tra- it comes with a certain level of training. Obviously, we all know that there isn't really certification in kink. Unfortunately, um, you can't be certified to top for anything or bottom for anything um, or switch for that matter. Um, however, uh, I feel like uh, you know, as far as my origins, I just really was intrigued by the idea of. Um, you know, w- once I was exploring myself, I was like, I, I really could see myself, um, topping somebody for spanking. And I didn't know what it was at the time. I didn't know what topping was or anything like that. 
Um, but I knew, but I was intrigued and attracted to the idea of, and I, you know, when I'm, and I kind of hinted at this with my icebreaker question with the, uh, over the, uh, adult content that, that searching for that is incredibly easy. Um, because there are, 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 while that kind of adult content isn't readily available, the, like spanking has always been something that is accessible. It's not necessarily agreed to. It's not necessarily, it's, it's, you know, particularly in most vanilla media forms, it's really um, not, not, not consensual. And obviously I don't support that, but for the most part, I was just really interested in like um, over the knee content and it kind of just grew from there. I kind of figured you know, I kind of started with my hand and then kind of started and then started like filling my impact bag. Um, and like I said, uh, went under the learning tree of several different tops um, and uh, experienced uh, doms um, and dames. And I was just really, um, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm still always learning. I'm never not learning. So, yeah, um, definitely, uh, you know, BDSM is something that you never stop learning. You know, it, it's, yeah. if you, if you stop learning, then, you know, you're doing something wrong. Um, but jumping in, into tonight's topic question, what are some miscon common misconceptions or stereotypes about differently able individuals in the BDSM context and how can they be challenged and overcome? Sure. Well, first, I think it starts with language, and um, it's you know understanding that you know when we you know when we use you know when we use phrasing like you use, and it's not a knock on you, but you know it's you know it's it's all about training, it's all about learning and um, uh, lived experiences and understanding how terms have evolved. Um, uh, I if if I was one of those kinds of people and I'm not, but if I was one of those kinds of people that was, um, quote unquote, eternally online or easily triggered, so to speak, then if you were to use a phrase like differently able to me, that I would say, you can't use that term. That's terrible. You don't know what that means. Like, the, I, like that's incredibly triggering. We don't even use that term. That's a slur. Like pump the brakes. Like you, you had no idea. And coming at you with that kind of energy is, messed up so but but when i but when i'm saying it starts with language and uh, and talking about ad adapting um i try to come at uh disability and uh bdsm or kink from the lens of my just lived experience as a disabled man and just kind of adapt it to uh kink spaces or, or BDSM. Um, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of the misconceptions that, well, I think some of the misconceptions come from two spaces, language, but also perception of disabled bodies in, uh, sexual spaces, because there is this belief that disabled people, um, can be used for sex, but can't be sexy and can't do sexy things. Right. Gotcha. Kind of, um, kind of like how, uh, with with race and, and how 
uh, you know, minorities or people of color are, are fetishized. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, there obviously, if you were able to look up some of the slurs that are associated with uh, disabled folks on streaming adult sites, you 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 would see a plethora of content, um, uh, kinky or otherwise. Um, where nine times out of 10, the disabled person in the video probably didn't consent to what's happening. Um, and their disability is, as you described, fetishized. Um, nine times out of 10 without their consent. And when I think about how I interact with kink and how I interact um, in kink spaces, uh, I really try to... At, at, at the onset, just be a presence, right? Um, you know, we first had our initial conversation at the NET conference, and I was talking to several um, uh, tops who were meeting me for the first time, and they were like, Cornell, you are one of two uh, tops that we know that is uh, in a wheelchair. Um, and they were saying, like, nationwide. And that's shocking, but also that like I don't I don't I don't want to be one of two. I don't. I feel like uh, you know disabled people can be kinky. I feel like if they are consenting to you know topping or uh, switching or bottoming for a scene, then it can be a, a fantastic experience. And this idea. Um, that people have to feed into the fetishization of disabled bodies and don't just see people as... I think, I think a lot of that misconception stems from a lack of empathy because there's this idea that disabled people not only can't be sexy, but also need help with everything, right? Um, I don't know if either of you got a chance to, uh, at Fetish Ball, you know, the, you know, the last night of Neck, um, back in April, um, got a chance to see me. I, I really only, unfortunately, got a chance to do one small scene. But even still, um, the one scene that I did do, I wanted to make sure that people saw that this is a disabled person that can top and enjoy, and, and, and I can enjoy myself, and I can respect the bottom, and I can engage with the bottom, and they can engage with me, and they can, en and they can have an enjoyable experience. And I don't try to overcompensate. I feel like um, there is another misconception that disabled people have to overcompensate because they have a, they have limited ability at the onset, so there's things they can't do, so they have to overcompensate in other ways. I don't ever try to overcompensate in any of my scenes. Any of the people that is that are that that regularly seen with me, or the people that uh, seen with me for the first time, um, I never try to overcompensate. I know what my limitations are. I explain that. I, but I also adapt my style before a scene so that I'm not doing something that hurts me or obviously hurts the person that I'm scening with. And I think so many people get um, caught up in, uh, particularly in kink spaces uh, that can sometimes be overflowing. Some people get in their own head around, uh, hurting the other person and, um, you know, 
they don't have that negotiation conversation ahead of time. Um, and then they wonder why in the scene, um, it ends abruptly or there is a consent violation or, um, uh, certainly in my case at the onset of my origin story. And I can go into this a little bit later. Um, there was a consent violation in my origin story. I didn't want to bring it up, but it's, but it, it certainly didn't shape my, but that, but that, or, but that consent violation didn't shape my BDSM story. So that's why I don't try to speak on it that much. It was a consent violation that I acknowledge. Um, and the other person that did the cons- consent violation, um, I don't know if they're in the kink space anymore, uh, but that notwithstanding, like, I am just concerned with making sure that the person I am seeing with is 100% comfortable. I know my limitations. I know what I can and can't do. I don't try to overcompensate with what I with with what I can or can't do. But what I want at the end of the day for disabled people is to just have fun. Know know that you can exist in kink spaces and you don't have to not only not be fetishized, but you don't have to be propped up as inspiration. Thankfully, that hasn't happened to me yet. And when it does, mm-hmm. I'm going to nip that shit in the bud. Mm-hmm. But um, um, because 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 it has happened in vanilla spaces, it happens to me in vanilla spaces all the time. Well, um, I have a question so, based off of yeah, what you just sure. said. How can sure, sure, sure. how can communication and negotiation be adapted to ensure enthusiastic and invo- informed consent and BDSM interactions involving disabled individuals? Well, there's different ways, right? Um, so for me, one of the ways I try to adapt my communication style when it comes to negotiate, uh, negotiating, but then also when I'm in scene, is I negotiate my safe words um, or the safe words that are, some, sometimes there's dedicated safe words in the kink space that I use, but uh, if that's not the case, I use my own. But then I also have um, adapted some ASL um, uh, signs to uh, my negotiation so that in the event that the music is too loud or um, they or we might be doing a sensory situation and they might have headphones in and I need to get their attention, I need to make sure that they can sign to me and let me know what do they want something to stop? What do they want something to continue? What do, what do they want something harder? What do they want something softer? Like I need to make sure that all those things are possible. So again, I try to incorporate some ASL signs into, um, into my negotiation practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that in, so that now I will say I've, I've, I've I haven't yet seen with someone who is nonverbal, but in the event that I do, the ASL hand signs are going to be the only way that I'm going to be able to communicate to, to communicate with them. So it's incredibly so it's incredibly essential for me to use those um, again if they are nonverbal um, or if they are sensory de- again if they are sensory deprived. So I think it's a matter of um, and I and I can only speak for my experience, right? Right. Um, for, for me, it's about adapting and, and learning. For me, it was really about, lear- you know, learning some basic 
some 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 basic ASL hand signs, um, and uh, that I really don't use in vanilla spaces. Honestly, I don't. But I've specific, but I've specifically used them in kink spaces so that again, if the person that I'm seeing with is deprived in any way by by sensory or again the space is too loud and they can't communicate directly to me, I need to make sure that that we can communicate with each other. So mm-hmm. I've. So, so even if I'm seeing with someone for the first time, I still incorporate those um, nonverbal ASL um, hand signs so that we can communicate during the course of the scene. But it, but it, but it really depends on. But again, I can only speak in in, in my specific case, um, and I've only done this probably for um, the past maybe three or four years. Um, so yeah. I hope that answers your question. No, it, it, it was perfect. Um, so how, how can BDSM practitioners and, and organizers promote a culture of acceptance, respect, and inclusivity for disabled individuals within the community? Oh, that is a loaded question, but thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, uh, what, what I think, I think one of the first ways they can honestly is, um, making kink spaces that where they are hosting events, thinking about accessibility first, right? I can't tell you the amount of times and, and neck is a different example because, um, uh, Sir Daniel, uh, I've only known for about a year and a half, but he, as soon as he knew I was coming, he was, and as soon as I got the, as soon as the, 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 the VIP, uh, was uh, taken care of, I wanted to make sure, or, or he wanted to make sure, he was like, Cornell, listen, um, you know, I want to make sure you are comfortable. You are the only uh, disabled uh, person that, uh, that has identified that they're disabled um, that is attending the conference. And he was like, you know, I know, because um, obviously he, he and I have been at other events, so he knew me prior to attending Nick, But, he was like, you know, I, I want to make sure you are 100% comfortable. I want to make sure, you know, I, you know, I want to make sure that when you get to the Baltimore Playhouse that you have access to the accessible parking space. I want to make sure that the staff knows uh, to uh, not give you any kind of shit when you're parking uh, because the uh, able-bodied staff does park in uh, that parking space when there isn't a disabled person parking there, unfortunately. Um, uh but that's but that's really what it is, honestly. You know, it's 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 really make it. I mean, it shouldn't be that simple. But just thinking about making spaces accessible, because again, I can't tell. Neck is an example of having a conversation with the organizers and saying, "Hey," uh, and them saying, "You know, before, during, and after, how can we make sure?" You know, uh, before and during it was let's make sure this space is accessible after it was, how can we make sure that not only it's accessible for you, but also for other accessible people at, uh, the, at the next event in New Jersey next year. Um, we want you to be a part of that conversation so that in the event that we do have more disabled people coming to the, uh, to, uh, New Jersey for next year's events, we want to make sure that it's, uh, accessible. And for, for everyone. Now, I can't speak for the entire disability community as it relates to kink. 
you know, there are, there are only so many lived, lived experience, you know, there are only so many, so many intersectional lived experiences as a disabled black man that I can speak to. That said, I can't tell you on the flip side, how many disability, how many kink events that happen weekly in my area that I just can't go to because they're at venues that are not accessible at all to, um, to disabled people. Either they don't have accessible parking um, or they are at venues with multiple floors with lots of stairs and there is no elevator or uh, there isn't a ramp to get into the venue. Um, if, it, if it's an event where there are multiple speakers, they're not thinking about ASL interpreters, um, which is something, you know, the folks over at Hohive and shout out to them, they think about, um, on, you know, on a consistent basis. Um, so, so really what it comes down to is just thinking about making, you know, is this venue ADA compliant? It's not, then we need to go to a venue that is. Because at the end of the day, if you want, because what it, what it feels like when events are happening in inaccessible spaces is it feels like there is unintentional um, gatekeeping from the event organizers. And it's not intentional, right? I, I said unintentional. Unintentional gatekeeping around keeping out disabled people from events. And these are people who are doing events that I care about, that I respect, that I attend their other events um, when they are in accessible venues. Uh, and, and when they aren't, again, I can't go. And it is a ton of FOMO. But I know that there are disabled people who want to go to these events, but they can't because it almost feels like there isn't a there there isn't enough of a conversation with event organizers around what accessibility looks like because to some it just means oh as long as there is a ramp we you know in front of the venue we've checked off all the boxes well no if there are stairs and multiple floors a lot of disabled people can't get around in there if if there are uh, again, if you are having multiple speakers and you know that there could be deaf or, or hard of hearing folks in there and you don't have ASL interpreters, that's not accessible. So, and yes, does it cost money to hire an ASL interpreter? Yes. Does it cost money to think about having an event at a more accessible venue than a less accessible one? Yes. But do you want more people to attend you more people to attend your event or do you want less people to attend your event? That's what event organizers need to ask themselves when they are planning events and thinking about accessibility. Yeah. I think, you know, just, just looking back at some of the events that I've gone to, like you said, there's out there are the steps and the only, you know, thing that seems to be ADA compliant might be the restrooms, but right. you know, like I said, there are stairs, there are narrow passageways that, you know, someone who's disabled might not be able to traverse. So, exactly. Yeah. 
I know you, you spoke earlier about um, empathy. What role mm-hmm. does empathy have in in understanding and creating a supportive environment? Um, so empathy is not something that is inherent in a lot of folks when it when it when it comes to this. This is just this is in general. Because when people see, when, when able-bodied people see a disabled person, their instinct is to assume that that disabled person cannot do for, can, cannot live independently without even engaging with that disabled person. That's what their mind thinks. And that's just not true. So having so 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 having empathy in what so having empathy in kink spaces really just means having conversations and and asking questions i have no problem engaging with um event organizers with attendees with uh speakers with um tops bottoms and switches um, with folks coming into kink spaces for the first time, I, I really enjoy engaging with folks who are coming into kink spaces for the first time, whether it's their first or second time. And they see me in my chair, they see my impact bag, and they're like, "Holy shit, I really want to work with this guy," because I, you know, and they're and and their eyes light up because they're because they're like, "I've never seen someone who's disabled in these spaces before." I, you know, I'm really excited to work with you. Um, and I really enjoy those experiences. I've, I, I, I gotta say, I've had more experiences with um, newer people to uh, King Spaces than folk, than I don't want to say regulars. <laughs> I get more. It, it, it's interesting. I get more empathy from newer people because they're willing to ask questions, or newer people to me than people that I see on a regular basis. In, in 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 kink spaces because they assume so much because they've seen me in kink spaces they've seen me seen um they've seen me interact with other people so their assumptions are moving a mile a minute without even you know with, with oftentimes barely engaging with me right um and to me um that that surface level empathy and again, I can only speak to my experience. I can't really speak to anybody else. But for me, empathy is really at the gate. Like, ask questions. Um, uh, but if you ask too many probing questions, then I have the right to not be willing to, you know, not, not feeling comfortable with answering those questions too. So be respectful in your, you know, in, in your line of questioning. Um, which I think is possible, right? You can, folks can be empathetic in their line of questioning as it relates to, Hey, um, what can you do? Um, what are your limitations? Um, I've, I've never had anybody in a king space ask me what my disability is. Thank God. Um, <laughs> um, never had anybody ask me what, 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 you know, why am I in, in the, you know, in the chair? Never had anybody, um, I do have um, littles and subs like to, uh, particularly when I'm at conventions, they do like to ride in my chair. Um, 
and take rides around. That's the thing that happens. And I have no problem with that. Um, as long as everybody's comfortable. Um, and you know, but and those are fun for me and, and for the person that I'm uh, taking on a ride. Um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I think asking questions is, is, is key. Um, and just, be, and, but just also being, being open-minded, um, and being, and being willing to have conversations, uh, because I feel like that will make accessibility more of a reality in kink spaces. Okay. And I believe you mentioned, uh, subs, um, how can power dynamics be navigated within BDSM relationships when one partner has a disability that, that might affect either their mobility or physical capabilities? Sure. Um, again, I can only speak to my experience. Um, but for me, when I am interacting with, uh, whether it be someone who's a, someone who I'm in, who I'm in a power dynamic with, or someone who is in a different power, power dynamic and they are, um, uh, being, uh, and, and I have a conversation with the top and they're like, you know, Cornell can, you know, you can top my sub or something like that, uh, for this particular scene. Um, and it's negotiated, um, Communication goes back to communication. Um, and if communication is, again, if it's a situation where, for instance, if one of the persons in the power dynamic is nonverbal, then figure out a way to communicate, whether it be through ASL, whether it be through, through some other form, so that you can actually communicate with uh, the person you're in the power, you're the person you're in the power dynamic with. Um, in my experience, when it comes to power dynamics, usually it's um, an extension of. Usually, it's someone who knows me uh, and and kind of has a rough idea of my disability already. Um, so there isn't. There isn't a whole lot of um, random. Uh, I'll just say it. There, there, there isn't a whole lot. Of, there isn't a whole lot of uh, ableism um, from the person, you know, in the power dynamic. There, you know, I am a disabled person who grew up with inherent ableism, and I think there are people who. Um, and, and I'm still unlearning it. And I think everyone can unlearn it. Um, it is inherent, but that is not, but, but, but inherent doesn't mean that it can't be unlearned. And, um, and, and real quick, can you kind of define ableism for our listeners who? Sure. Sure. So, so, so ableism means, um, I'm not, I'm not going to read the definition, oh, but no, no. in so many, but, yeah, but, but it, it basically means being, um, derogatory or defamatory towards a disabled person. Gotcha. Using, using slurs, uh, being dehumanizing, um, be, you know, uh, helping with that. So, sometimes it can be extended to doing things without their consent. Um, it has a wide 
definition. So that's why I didn't want to give you like the the textbook definition. No, no, no. You know, you you, you did you know broad strokes, broad strokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And I know you, you, you know, you, you mentioned Sir Daniel and Neck, but what are some other yeah. success stories that you might have had when it came to, you know, going to events? Sure. Um, well, like I said, Hohai, um, they do great work. Um, and they're kind of, uh, as I'm sure you all know, they're kind of doing a little bit of reformatting after uh, a unfortunate incident at one of their events. They kind of had to do some uh, resetting. Um, and they've reset it in my opinion for the better. Um, but even before then they understood what accessibility meant. Um, they understood, uh, how not to be, um, uh, you know, again, they asked questions when, you know, when I got there, um, and, uh, you know, everything was, for the most part, copacetic. Um, let me think. Uh, obviously, local to me, um, B&K, um, DC, uh, always has, um, I, I don't really run into too many issues uh, at their events. Um, Naughty House, uh, love those ladies. Uh, they do great work. Um, trying to think who else. Uh, that's really all I've had experience with uh, locally for the most part. I kind of mentioned all the um, all the real, uh, you know, the, the you know the, the local groups and the local folks. Um, yeah, they pretty much all check the boxes of facilities, you know, in- engagement, all the things that you know that you would need or someone who's disabled would need if they wanted to uh, attend their event. Yes. 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 And the, and the, and and the thing I appreciate about all of those event organizers is that they are receptive. They are willing to listen. They are willing to learn if they do misstep. Right. Um, They take criticism with a grain of salt. They don't rush to defend what they, you know, what they, you know, they don't, they don't rush to defend what they think is inherent, you know, what they think may or may not be ableist, um, or, uh, inaccessible. And they just are willing to listen to that criticism and accept it and move forward. And, and again, ask questions, how can we do better? Um, Sometimes it's in the moment. Sometimes it's after an event, but those questions still happen. I still get those questions and I still engage with them as often as I can. And I appreciate when I get those questions. So, um, yeah, kudos yeah, I think to those the, guys. Or, yes, or those indeed. organizations. Mm-hmm. I know we have one last question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what resources or support systems are available for disabled individuals interested in exploring BDSM? Ah, well, unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot out there um, in the form of resources. Um, I, I would say myself, um, there aren't a whole lot of 
as far as I know, um, like, you know, when, when folks see me out at kink spaces, they know I'm disabled. But if someone has an invisible disability, for instance, right, um, or they might not even identify as disabled, and they very well could be. There, there are a lot of those folks as well. Um, because of, uh, particularly after uh, COVID, the disability community has grown expeditiously. And the definition of disability has grown. So there are more people identifying as disabled than ever before, not for nefarious reasons, but because long COVID is a thing. Um, and the effects of long COVID still have not been uh, fully uh, disseminated um, in terms of what disabilities could potentially come from having long COVID. So I say that to say um, there aren't a whole lot of resources out for disabled folks trying to get the get their foot in into kink. What I would say instead to anyone who is disabled who is listening to this podcast, um, go to those kink events. If you, if they have a registration page, indicate that you have accessibility requirements or that you need your access or that you or that you need certain um, or that you have certain accessible needs. Um, ask these venues um, that are hosting these events about their accessibility. That's what I would say. I, I think again, as as much as it falls on the event organizers to create accessible spaces. Disabled folks, we already know how to advocate for ourselves, so we already know how to ask questions, how to call ahead, how to um, figure out if a space is accessible, if it's going to have ASL interpreters, if it's going to have, um, uh, if the venue is ADA compliant. Like, we are used to advocating for ourselves, right? So we already know how to do that. So really what it comes down to is just doing what, the, to, to, to your disabled listeners, what I would say is do what you know, advocate for yourself. You already know how to do that. So while there aren't a whole lot of resources, create one, do what I'm doing. Like I, like, I recognize there was a gap in accessibility as it related to kink. So I am acting as, but I, but I don't want to be the only person because I because there are disabilities that I can't speak to from a lived experience. So from the from the accessible but but from the accessible lens that I can speak to, I want to make sure that king spaces are more accessible. And I recognize there was a gap there, so I'm trying to be the best. I so I'm trying to be the best advocate that I can be, so that the disabled people that come behind me and after me into kink spaces, know that the spaces that I'm going into are going to be as accessible as they can be because I am knocking down the door and I'm not going to just knock down the door and just make space for myself, sit down at the table and just close the door behind me. I'm going to knock down that door and blaze a, and, and, and blaze a trail and have as many disabled people on that trail with me as possible on that, on that, on that kinky leather trail as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great advice. Wow. Um, before we close, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know? Or how, how can our listeners uh, contact you? Well, um, 
They can find me on Instagram at Mr. Cornell Drago, all one word. Um, they can find me on set, uh, Cornell Drago. Uh, there's a space, Cornell space Drago. Um, and yeah, um, they can email me also, Mr. Cornell Drago at Gmail. Um, if they have questions, um, if event organizers are trying to figure out what, um, accessibility looks like and they need an accessibility consultant, I do charge for that and I can answer those questions. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I am willing to have those conversations, um, with event organizers that, that, you know, to make not just spaces in and around me accessible, but spaces everywhere accessible. That's what's up. That's what's up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and for your your lived experiences. Yeah, and, and hopefully uh, um, our listeners, whether they be whether they identify as, as disabled or are promoters, can you know take the the lived experience that you've had and you know either advocate for themselves or make a space more accessible. Yep. And uh, thank you for having us, Jason. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Awesome. Anything else, baby girl? Until next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Not Another Kinky Cast. If you want to hit us up, you can email us at notanotherkinkycast at gmail.com or www.kinkycast.com Thanks for listening. Bye.